Hello, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. Welcome, everybody. I'm very excited about today's topic. We are going to discuss the elephant in the room. Are you keeping financial secrets? If you want to keep a secret, you must also hide it from yourself. That is a quote from George Orwell. Those are some pretty true words there. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a secret as kept from knowledge or view, not acknowledged, and working with hidden aims or methods. Essentially, when we keep secrets, we don't want others to know what we are up to, and sometimes it's evidence of our own self-denial because we don't want to admit to ourselves what we're actually up to. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. So why do we keep money secrets? Usually because we are embarrassed about whatever the secret is, or we're trying to fly under the radar and avoid attention. According to a recent survey, 40% of us are keeping financial secrets from our friends, family, and loved ones. So what financial secrets are you keeping? Money is a topic that many people keep close to their vest, even with those they trust the most. Whether it's credit card debt, loans, a secret bank account, or a purchase that we don't want to admit to, there are a plethora of reasons why we keep money secrets. Often, we keep secrets from others in our lives because we are afraid the truth will be detrimental to our relationships and we want to avoid conflict. We keep our actions secret. Keeping financial secrets from family, partners, loved ones puts those relationships on a fast track to relationship mayhem. It's not good to not be forthright with everybody in your life, including yourself, about what's going on in your financial life. I also think by keeping certain things secretive, we convince ourselves that there isn't a problem with whatever we are doing, and we allow ourselves to live in denial. If we don't admit it to others, we ignore our behavior, and maybe our duplicitousness shields us from acknowledging that our behavior isn't good for us, and it keeps us from really examining why we're acting the way we are. So I believe in the eyes wide open approach when it comes to our financial lives. Knowledge is power. Truth in our communications with ourselves and others enables us to be fully engaged in our financial decisions and to formulate a solid strategy that will provide us with control, independence, and clarity. Money should not have the power to ruin your relationship with yourself or others. It shouldn't control you. You should control it. And you shouldn't be afraid of it. So now is the time for you to do a little financial self-reflection. We are constantly evolving in our emotional relationship with money. And my goal is to help you to improve your relationship with your money. Be in control of your money emotions and not have your money control your emotions. Spend a minute and ask yourself the following questions. What financial secret am I keeping and from who? When I reveal it, what am I most afraid of? If I don't reveal it, what am I most afraid of? Is there someone I trust that I can share it with who will help me navigate my way out of it? Nobody is entirely rational when it comes to money. We have a complex relationship with our money and personal finances, and it directly affects our behavior. Our personal finances are fluid, 
and involve a multifaceted set of challenges, opportunities, and data that we interact with and have feelings about. It's a cycle of actions and feelings. You make a decision relating to money that impacts your financial situation, and this decision then affects your feelings and future behavior. The most common emotions many of us experience in relation to money are fear, guilt, shame, or envy. Maybe we're afraid we don't have enough money or that we will lose all our money, or we fear being humiliated because of some of our decisions. We may feel guilty because we feel some of our money decisions have had a negative impact on others, and we might feel shame because we feel our money decisions have let us down and we aren't living up to our own sense of what is right. Money shame is a powerful emotion that causes avoidance and secrecy, and it's only human nature to want to avoid exposure of decisions we aren't happy or proud of. So what's your money personality? Ken Honda, in The Psychology of Money and Happiness, and the author of Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money, has identified seven money personalities. I think this is fascinating. If you can identify which types resonate with you, understand the nuances and pitfalls of each, you can improve your relationship with money by being aware of how you think. I think we should all do some deep diving into what our money personalities are and not be in denial about it. This is as important in re- with respect to financial planning as financial planning. You need to understand your own motivations and, and you know what you really think about money and how you feel about it. I was in denial about my relationship with money for a long time, and I didn't really want to examine how I felt about it and its role in my life. I think money controlled me instead of me controlling it, and I definitely believe that I was afraid of it. So according to Honda's research, there are seven specific money personality types, and most of us are a combination of types. They are the compulsive saver. This person saves money endlessly, is frugal, financially responsible, and money is a source of security. Then we have the compulsive spender, frequently makes unnecessary purchases, spends when they're in emotional distress, or for immediate gratification, and has buyer's remorse after big splurges. Then there's the compulsive moneymaker, believes life is better when you earn more. The top priority is growing wealth and making more money and craves recognition for their financial success. The indifferent to money personality, they tend to rarely think about money, and they believe money shouldn't influence important life decisions. Usually, these folks are well off. That makes sense, right? The saver splurger is a combination of traits between savers and spenders because they can be smart with their money for periods of time, but then they give in to spending impulses out of nowhere. The gambler is a combination of spenders and money makers who takes big risks with money, is elated with financial wins, but gets very deeply depressed about financial losses. And then finally, there is the worrier, constantly worries about losing money, lacks confidence in their ability to achieve financial freedom, and always is in preparation mode. This is the glass half empty person. My money personality has evolved and changed over time. As a younger person, I was a worrier and I feared money. My father is a compulsive saver worrier and he is extremely frugal and this loomed large over me and influenced me to constantly worry that I might lose money that I had. I also, for many years, um, you know, was 
dependent on my ex-husband's salary because I wasn't working. And I also felt a lot of guilt when I made purchases. So if I went out and bought a pair of expensive shoes, I sometimes went upstairs and hid them under the bed because I didn't want anyone to know that I bought them instead of just, you know, being open about it and having a budget and all that good stuff. Um, Once I self-realized professionally, I became a combination of the compulsive moneymaker and the saver splurger. Obviously, I need to earn money to feel in control. And that's my thing. And now that I understand that, that is my modus operandi with money. I embrace it and it helps me in my money relationships and in my money planning. Figuring out your money personality will help you understand your own motivations and help you to communicate your values to others. So here are four steps that you can do right now that will help you get in touch with yourself and allow you to be open with yourself and others about money issues because you have knowledge and you're in control of the facts. One, make a budget. This is pretty basic. A budget is a leading indicator of your future financial health. It is your roadmap for financial independence and achieving a Zen state of mind. It's a good tool for creating a roadmap so you could enjoy your life more. It's not meant to eliminate all the fun in your life. The first step is to get a picture of what your current income is and what your spending looks like now. If you don't know how you are spending your money, you won't be able to strategize about how to marshal your resources to achieve financial freedom. Determine your after-tax income and create a list of all your fixed costs. Those are your absolute needs that you must spend money on, you know, your shelter, your food. And then figure out what your discretionary expenses are. That's your wants, the things that you don't necessarily need to spend money on. Total all your monthly expenses and compare them to your monthly income. If your monthly expenses exceed your income, then you are clearly living beyond your means. First, focus on reducing your discretionary costs, the things that you want to spend money on, and that will allow you to save a little bit more. If that alone doesn't correct the expense overage, evaluate your fixed costs and cut where you can. You know, you've got to be maybe a little bit hard on yourself at the beginning to get your budget in order, but eventually that will give you the financial freedom that you want, and you will understand exactly all the money inflows and outflows, and that's a very powerful thing. You may have to make some short-term difficult decisions to get your income and expenses in tandem. There are so many budgeting apps out there that make budgeting so easy that I highly recommend that you look into them because it literally could be on your phone and you can get an immediate summary of money that you're spending, reminders not to spend money, and so on and so forth. So these things are very, very helpful. The second thing is eliminate the enemy credit card debt. I've spoken about this before. I'm going to keep talking about it forever. After you have your budget set up, determine all your outstanding debt balances on credit cards and personal loans and begin to pay your debt down. Make minimum payments on all but one debt. So pick the one that has the highest interest rate. Pay that high interest-bearing debt off first while you're still making your minimum payments on the other cards and get that totally cleared off and then go go on to the next, so on and so forth with the different interest rates, always approaching the, you know, paying the higher one off first. Consider consolidating debt with a lower interest loan or balance transfers to low interest cards or zero APR cards. Also consider debt counseling and debt relief actions. You got to be proactive in solving whatever issues are out there to clear the decks so that you can breathe. Third, establish an emergency fund. Again, this is very important. 
once you've done the first two steps, this is essential. Set up an emergency fund savings account with four to six months of savings in cash. According to research from the Pew Charitable Trust, 33% of American families say they have no money that they would call savings, including 10% who have incomes over $100,000 a year. Evidence suggests that having an emergency fund keeps household finances on track, even if there is an unforeseen event, especially if there is an unforeseen event. Having an emergency fund confirms a certain mindset, and this is important. It, it means that you are now in a strategic mindset that isn't throwing caution to the wind and hoping it will all work out in the event something unexpectedly goes awry in your life. Emergency savings contribute to long-term financial security and long-term mental health, I might add, because individuals with savings are less likely to incur unsecured debt and other high-cost financial bailouts that often result in long-term indebtedness or bankruptcy, both of which are incredibly stressful. And you may not be so quick to borrow against your retirement savings if you have an emergency fund and some cash on hand. So these are not just for high-wage earners. Regardless of your income, if you get your budget together, you should be able to put together an emergency fund for yourself. So it's not only for rich people. And you know, when people have more money or, spe- or make more money, they spend more money. So it really comes down to budgeting, regardless of what income level you're at. And the fourth component is to stay rational in your investment strategy. Once you do steps one through three, and you have some money to invest, set up an investment strategy to endure volatility without permanent capital loss. How do you do that? Through diversification of investments, fundamental investing, and a disciplined long-term strategy. Financial planning will help you identify your financial objectives and how you can achieve them through your investment strategy. So planning and budgeting, all these things sound boring, but they are so key to success and being knowledgeable about your situation, which then will keep you from having secrets. Your financial plan should identify your cash flow and liquidity needs, your ability to endure volatility. You know, how do you feel about risk? How do you react when there is a lot of volatility? And your targeted risk-adjusted return to generate sensible growth and income from your portfolio. Most importantly, once you have your sensible strategy in place built to endure volatility, don't make emotional investment moves based on fear and panic. Be a disciplined investor and don't let short-term fear unravel your long-term disciplined investment approach. So self-awareness and a clear-eyed approach to our financial lives will enable us to harness our money emotions and keep them in check. Emotion isn't always a bad thing because it tells you what you are passionate about, what you really care about. Emotion makes us feel alive. Anxiety in moderate amounts can also motivate us to tackle our problems. Embrace the fact that sometimes money will cause you to feel certain uncomfortable emotions and occasional anxiety. But knowing that and understanding your particular financial facts with budgeting, planning, and a rational strategy for investing, you can eliminate the emotion and minimize the anxiety. And that will allow you to be honest with yourself and others because you no longer have to hide behind money secrets and avoidance. So how to stop the secrecy and the money madness? Take the emotion out of your money behavior and decisions by having knowledge of your financial situation through the things we just discussed 
budgeting, financial planning, having a diversified and intentional long-term investment strategy. Instead of thinking of a budget as an anxiety-inducing experience, look at it as a step to financial freedom and happiness. I get it. Having a deep look into your financial situation may increase your anxiety level because you're afraid to face the reality that you don't have an emergency savings fund, or you haven't saved enough to send the kids to college, or you are way behind in your retirement savings. So guess what comes next? Avoidance of any budgeting or planning because you feel anxiety, a vicious cycle that repeats over and over again. So stop the cycle with self-awareness. If you confront the dreaded task of having a deep dive into your finances and money behavior, yes, your anxiety may increase in the short term. But if you stay with it and get all your financial facts in order and establish a plan for spending and saving, your overall anxiety level will steadily dissipate as you gain control of your situation through your ongoing engagement with your finances. Reality is our friend, period. That's it for today. I'm Kimberly Davis, and I'm the Fiscal Feminist. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.